Oh, there we are. We are live. Pull this microphone up a little bit. There we go. What's up, everybody? My name is Luke Thomas. It is Wednesday, June 8th, 2016, and my beard is, can you see? Going gray. Now the well, the beard has been going gray here, and now it's going gray up here. The end is near, basically. I I don't know how much time I have left on this earth, um, or how much time I want to spend left on this earth. Might be a better way to describe it. But here I am doing the chat today. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, welcome. We go ninety minutes with questions. You know how this works. Questions in the comment thread for uh, where this video is posted uh, on MMA fighting. The ones that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. You guys know that there's an a million things to talk about. UFC 199, Brock Lesnar, the site, and everything that went down at UFC 199. There's just a million things to get to, so we will get to them as much as possible. Couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, one, I've been in touch briefly with, well, very briefly, with the guy who is trying to make help me make some T-shirts. So we're working on that. I'm going to get back to him this week about that. I made it a point to myself to do that, so we'll put that in motion. Uh, second, I put up the Monday Morning Analyst, and uh, it, got, it got plenty of views, so I'm really happy about that. But uh, I saw a bunch of people in the comments being like, why aren't you talking about what happened with Ariel on the site and Casey and Esther? Understand something. The way this works is that that podcast, I, I, I devoted it to technique specifically for that purpose. I wanted one where we could just talk about things like that. Um I didn't take away from the live chat to create that. In other words, the live chat came first and I added a separate podcast. Um, this is not, we're not bleeding out the ability to be candid and forthright in this podcast in order to create that one. So it's always going to be that way. I'm not going to talk about free agency and the Monday morning analyst. I'm not going to talk about fighter pay and the Monday morning analyst. I'm not going to talk about credentials and the Monday morning analyst. I'm going to talk about fights. There were some crazy-ass fights on Saturday night, despite all the craziness that happened afterwards. Um, and to those of you who appreciate that fact, that you can segment those things. In fact, you know, to preserve the integrity of what you're doing, that's what you're supposed to do. If that's what that podcast is for, or show is for, or paper is for, that's what you keep it about. You don't just change because of the present circumstances unless they are beyond extraordinary, like the sport is about to collapse. I mean, that might be a little bit different, but the sport's not collapsing. Um, it moves forward. So so just everyone who appreciated that segmentation and that compartmentalization, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. With that out of the way, I think those are the only housekeeping notes I had. Um, oh, some of you sent me some suggestions about what to do with my own personal extra content I'm going to do on my YouTube channel. Thank you for that. If you still have any more suggestions, I'm still taking them. I must have gotten a thousand emails uh, over the past few days. I haven't even begun to answer them. So if you sent one in the last few days and you didn't get a response, just be patient. I'm going to try and get to as many as I can. Uh, all right. Now, with that out of the way, oh, and of course, I don't have soda again because it was just an aberrant thing. Just got some bottled water. I've been trying to drink my BCAAs during my lift. I don't know that it has any real effect. To be honest. I don't know that it has any real effect before or after either, but certainly I don't notice any difference drinking the BCAAs. The branch chain amino acids in the middle of a lift, but whatever. All right, here we go. First question. Uh, it's not much of a question. Most bipolar period in combat sports history. 
Luke, I can't think of a time where the combat sports world experienced such a roller coaster of extreme highs and dreadful lows as the past few days. Over that time, Muhammad Ali passed away. Den Henderson pulled off a magical KO win in what might, in what might be his last fight ever. Michael Effing Bisping knocked out Luke Rockhold in the first round and actually became a UFC champion. Ariel and the MMA fighting team were stripped of their credentials. An epic maelstrom of negative publicity against the UFC ensued, and the UFC had to uplift the ban, or, or you know, not uplift the ban, but lift the ban. Kimbo passed away. In your opinion, have the past few days been the most volatile period in combat sports history? Does any other period in combat sports history even come close to rivaling the wild range of major developments, both good and bad? That took place over the last few days. I can tell you that there were times in my life, um, just in my own coverage of things, where I felt a certain sense of upheaval and real life shift. Um, but they were singular incidents. Now, I think the incident, the two ones I'm about to mention, were bigger than any of these. Although Ali passing away is so big, it's a world event. But I guess I mean strictly for our world. So I'll mention, for example, the UFC purchase of Strike Force. I knew from the moment that. Video came out with Ariel that I knew. I knew the world was about to change. I just knew. I knew it was things were going to be very, very different from there on out. And of course, they were. And in some ways, not as much as I expected. In other ways, much more. Um, but that, I remember I had an event to go to with my wife. I had just gotten out of the shower. I flipped up my laptop as I had just got finished getting dressed. You know, I hadn't even combed my hair yet or anything. It was still, you know, semi wet or whatever. And I looked at the. Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember if I got an email or I had seen the link to go check out the video. I remember watching the video, being like, "Holy Jesus, what has just happened?" So that was a big one. Um, when Pride was purchased, that was a big one. Uh, not maybe not didn't quite strike me as hard as the Strike Force one because there had been rumors of um, the slow and creeping demise of pride zach arnold at fight opinion had done a really tremendous job of covering that so uh that one didn't quite catch me by surprise in that same way but it was big um because remember a lot of the pride guys came over not all of them obviously but a lot of them came over so that was a big one um when dana white went on his rant against loretta hunt and called her all kinds of things and said all kinds of unspeakable words and there was a big backlash for that that was a big time that was a really big one as well, where it was a really weird, intense moment in the sport. So there have been some big ones. There have been some really big ones. You know, and the Fox deal uh, was a big one too, but not quite to this extent. This was weird to your point that there was this combat sports effect, even with Ali. There was this larger, that was a world event. Then you mentioned Dan, this, the craziness with, you know, 199, Dan Henderson wins in the way he does. Bobby Green and Dustin Poirier at least have a good fight. Reyes and Kim had this insane slobber knocker to kick off the show there there were a couple of pedestrian fights ortega has that weird comeback um you know cruz does what cruz does uh and then bisping goes and has literally the easiest fight of his ufc career i mean <laughs> what and then everything went down with us here at mma fighting and of course that news had already broken about brock so this was this was unique in the sense that it was this cascading series of events and to that end no i cannot remember one that it, and it, this was to your point also this just went on and on and on and on you know saturday night or friday night saturday morning ali dies and then it's 199 and then this whole brock thing and and diaz mcgregor and then the credential thing and then credential lifting thing and kimbo pass it was it's just it's never ending so singularly i guess the you know muhammad ali is bigger but in our world singularly none of those things were as big as the purchase of strike force but that was just a one event. 
you know, and then there was a slow trickle out effect of the consequence. This was like one, two, three. You just couldn't, you couldn't stop the bleeding. It's been, it's been very, it's been very bizarre to put it mildly. Someone goes, someone's telling this other reader, so crazy you forgot to mention Brock Lesnar, which is true. Uh, someone says, I forgot to add the announcements of Brock returning and Diaz McGregor too. I did add those two to another question below, but forgot to do so for this one. Man, these past few days have been absolutely unforgettable for good and bad reasons. I certainly think, oh, and the IBJJF, Bouchesha got double gold again, although the absolute match uh, was not very good. But whatever. Um, his weight class, the armbar hit on uh, old, uh, what did James Pulpolo? I always mispronounce his name. Pulpolo? Anyway, it was a good armbar. Uh, okay, here we go. UFC versus the media. Luke, the MMA community was in uproar over the removal of Ariel Hawani, Esther Lynn, and Casey Layden from UFC 199. A day later, Jeremy Botter went on Submission Radio to have an in-depth discussion about the incident, and he gave a very negative opinion of Dana White and his shrewd tactics. Botter boldly stated that the UFC, quote, hates the media, end quote, and that they'll pretend to befriend media members, but will also, quote, stab them in the back, end quote, if they get a chance. He went on to say... He went on to say that the UFC will tolerate a certain degree of press for the sole purpose of publicizing the company's brand uh, and its fighters. Botter urged his fellow media members to take a stand to avoid being strong-armed by the UFC. Question, do you agree with Jeremy Botter's sentiments, and how do you see the UFC's relationship with media members changing after this incident? They've been changing for a long time. They've been changing for a long time. Uh, I mean, I haven't heard what he had to say. I don't, I'm not going to comment. If I haven't heard his comments, I have it pulled up, but I didn't get a chance to listen to it. Um, although I do like the submission radio guys, um, they've been changing for a long time. You know, I, if you guys really want to see how I feel, nothing's really changed. You can go back. Do you remember that round table? Ariel did it. Dave Meltzer did it. I did it. Kevin Ioli did it. I think Josh Gross did it. Uh, Heidi Fang did it. Um, we did it with Richard Deitch, this round table. If you want to know my opinion about MMA media and my role in it and, and my values, none of that's changed. Uh, I routinely believe that I, you know, I'm not specifically, I'm not speaking specifically about the UFC here, but in MMA, you talk to managers, you talk to PR people, you talk to sponsors, whoever. I routinely believe that I am lied to. Uh, you know, no one else in that panel said that, but I firmly believe that that's true. Um, I don't believe in having a paranoid worldview where you don't talk to anyone, you just write to yourself. Uh, uh, you know, you only do adversarial media. I don't believe that anymore, and I don't, and I haven't for a long time. I believe, you know, in in trying to foster some kind of open dialogue with all these people. Um, but also just being conscious of that fact. I have you can look at the nature of my work. I have tailored my work for a long time to be as personally speaking, um, you know, to the extent I don't need credentials and can still do my work. That's great. That doesn't mean I think that credentials should be taken away. But I also want to make sure that I have this ability to produce meaningful and uh, devoured content in a way that is entirely unreliant on anyone else. All I have to do is I got lights here, I got a light here, I got a camera here, I got a microphone here, and I got you guys. And no one can ever take this away from me, right? And I've built this into a little bit of a something, thanks to you guys, really. But together, I should say, we have built this into something. No, no one can ever take that away. And uh, th that's not unintentional. That's by design. Now, that was also by design at a time when I was much more paranoid, but I still think it holds value. I, I believe that... Um, even if you have a model that is entirely dependent upon access, that doesn't mean that the UFC should be able to do whatever you want. It's just I came from a position where when I was riding a bloody elbow, we never had access. I never wanted access. But, you know, to that point, um, 
you know, even now I will tell you that I look, look at the Monday morning analyst. People are like, why don't you get footage rights? I don't want footage rights. I'm just being candid about it. I don't want footage rights. I'd rather have a system, even if it's inefficient and slow and not as good, frankly, because I don't have to ask permission from anybody. It'd be nice, but at the same time, I don't want to have to owe anybody any favors. You know what I mean? I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to have a conversation later. Well, cause I said something unflattering about a fighter and I'm usually pretty positive in those things, but you know, whatever, you never know what's going to happen. And someone says something and now they take away the footage and now there's a degradation in the quality of the podcast. The worst thing you can do, and this goes for any kind of content and any kind of online media. And this is often why when people start with free content and then go to a pay model, for example, there's this backlash. The worst thing you can do is take away what people are accustomed to getting for free. Or, or, or to take away something that people are accustomed to getting in certain forms. You can add things to it, but you can't take away anything. Once you start to take away things, that becomes a problem. So for me, like, are the slides as good as video? Nope. And they're never going to be, but they're mine. And no one can take those away from me. That, that, that's just something for me personally that I've built and that I'm never going to get away from too much. But, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to go to UFC 200. I'm going to go to, I'm sure, some future Bellator event. I'm going to go to whatever, like... I'm not living in a world where I think I can just get by with no credentials. No, credentials have a value in this world. They're, they're meaningful and they're important. They're important to get the story out. They're important to get the story out in an unfiltered way, believe it or not. And, you know, just taking them away so capriciously is bad for everybody. You know, for me, this whole thing has just been kind of interesting because um, ultimately I feel like this has been great. If I'm just being honest, painful at times, I'm sure, I'm sure for my bosses, it's been, uh, you know, not without its headaches, but, um, I, I gotta be honest. I'm, and again, I don't wish pain on my colleagues. I, I don't mean that either. Like, let me be clear about that. Like, of course I don't want that. Okay. But that's all over now. Like the storm passed. So now how do I feel about it? I feel great. <laughs> Honestly, I feel so, I feel really great. I feel like there was a lot of airing of grievances and things that needed to get told. Obviously, a, a big part of that was done by Ariel. Um, but more than that, and that's a, obviously a key component. This, this is really his story, you know, it's not mine. But from my vantage point, this is the first time that the larger media got to really see what's going on. Now, let me just be honest. I also put this in my Sports Illustrated column. This is true. I've never had my credentials taken away by UFC. Never. In fact, I one time had them threatened by Strike Force. There's a little story for you. I one time did an interview with a fighter who I'm actually on great terms with now. Um, that fighter didn't believe it went too well. And someone from Strike Force called me up mother effing irate. Irate. And threatened me. So I actually did the right thing. And I sent that dude a clip of the, oh no, I had a clip. I sent him the entire interview and waited four days to get a response and never got one. And then when I finally followed up being like, okay, so what is the problem here? They were like, no problem. But I certainly got an angry phone call on a Monday morning um, from someone and they, and they outright threatened to take credentials away. So, so that was interesting. But other than that, like never had an issue, never had an issue with UFC. They've never threatened it. Um, there one time was a mix up for UC 129, but I still got credentialed for it. So like of all the negative things I've done and said, and I've been blocked by Dana White on Twitter and he attacked me once, uh, and then apologized for it. But you know, I'm sure he doesn't like me very much. They've never taken it away. So I have to admit that. However, here's the larger point. The larger point is this is the first time that the, that the larger sports world really got to see the truth about what happened with Ariel and Esther and Casey, because it happened to all of them is that it was a continuation of something. 
And there was this deep pause in between them. Or I guess the, the Snowden incident didn't happen too long ago. But you, know, you go back to Gross, you go back to Hunt, you go back to Snowden, you go back to, I guess, Cage Potato, who, all the different people that are banned or have been banned at various points in their time. This is a continuation of things. But here's the, here's the difference for me. Um, one, they're more mainstream now than ever. I think that's a really key component of what has changed the story. This wound up being the biggest story in sports, arguably. I'm not here to say this is bigger than Copa America, but holy crap. Like, in terms of a viral story, this was international headlines. You saw Ariel on every major show, on Dan Patrick, on Sports Center, on everything. On everything. And and people around uh, my in the local media here were talking about it on my favorite radio stations. They never talk about MMA. Um, this This went viral. It went totally viral. And it went viral, one, because I think UFC is in a different place than it used to be. Two, I think the nature of things going vi viral like this is aided and abetted by social media. I don't know that, you know, maybe things would have been different for Gross um, if it had happened now versus when it happened to him. I, I can't guarantee that. But the other component of it is, for me, it's like, you know, the way in which they did it, this angry way of escorting somebody out. You know, if they had done it on the sly, would it have had the same effect? I don't know. Um, you know, uh, taking out Esther and Casey for no particular reason that I can discern. Um, if they hadn't done that, would this have had the same effect? So there was a, the nature of the way that they did it that caused this uproar. And also, you know, Ariel's is, you know, to me, look, there's no, I mean, this is not, I'm not breaking news here. It's the most important and, and the guy with the biggest profile in the sport. If there's one guy you can't do that to, especially capriciously and angrily, it's him. I'm not saying that Vox wouldn't back me up if it happened to me. Of course they would. They backed me up for my whole career. Um, but I don't know that uh, the rest of the sports world would have caught on if it had happened to me. But it caught on with him. And that changed things completely. And I also think there's another underrated uh, aspect to the story that's simply not being discussed, which is they're in the middle of a sale, the UFC. You think new owners want to walk into some kind of bad rep set by this? I don't think so. They're smart people over there. They know better than that. They don't want to really put themselves in a negative place where they have, I mean, this is the first time they were on the verge of developing a reputation in the larger sports world that they've already got inside the MMA world. And you can get away with it inside the MMA world. What, you know, there's not much exactly people can or will or care to do. Boy, that's very different when it gets to the larger sports world now, isn't it? And I think they saw that finally and cooler heads did prevail uh, and they, they were able to work it out. But that's sort of my read on this was that in the middle of a sale and the way in which they did it, who they did it to, how they did it, um, all mistakes, all mistakes. But they corrected it pretty quickly, um, and everything has moved on. Uh, well, largely has moved on. So that, that's one sort of larger take on this whole thing. Um, but I mentioned I was glad. I am glad. I am glad. I am glad that now the UFC realizes that, look, and... <laughs> This is not even designed, every time you say something like this, I always get the feeling that they're going to view this adversarially. This is not even said to be adversarially. This is just the world in which we live. The content of information and the direction from which it flows and the sources from which it emanates, they are not, no one, no one is in a position to control them. It takes an extraordinary amount of power and control and vertical and horizontal uh, integration to make that happen. And they are not in a position to do that. It's, it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore. Have the UFC had views over the years, or probably to an extent now, where they view media as a secondary arm of PR? I'm sure. But let's also get clear about this. There are lots of people on that PR staff who do not feel that way, who have been nothing but professionals to me. 
um, you know, Chris Costello, Dave Schaller has always been good to me personally, although I know some people have a different relationship with him. Um, yeah, Dave Lockhart, uh, or Dave Lockhart, excuse me, I, I can go on and on and on and on and on about different guys and, and, and women over there in that PR department who have been just fine. Um, this was an executive decision, and I think those executives are slowly warming to the idea that the amount of control they wish to exert, whether they're the, I mean, the NFL can't do it. If the NFL can't do it, no one else can do it. And I think this is just another consequence of going mainstream. You want to be mainstream? Here you go. You're going to get mainstream examination for a very long time. Reporters did not pay attention. And I actually, one time, you know, I, I had mentioned to Richard Deitch uh, before that, like, you know, you never talk about all the good things that MMA journalists do in terms of like the best sports journalists of the year. And he actually kind of responded to it, which I really am impressed with. And then he followed up on this story a bunch and we did that panel. Like they're finally paying attention to the mechanics of this. This is a great thing. This means that that there is a greater balance of power between the needs of the media to do its job correctly. Obviously, the UFC has some needs and they have some claims that are appropriate about you know, trying to keep content to themselves and wanting to, you know, uh, every sports organization to an extent is going to want to control the, the flow of information. That's not a scandal. Um, that doesn't mean we have to let them necessarily, but it's an understandable motivation. But now there's a little more equality about this. Now, the, the, the truth is, though, that the problem, it, it's not over. Um, until Gross is reinstated and Hunt is reinstated and Snowden is reinstated, this is not, this is not over. This is just, it's just not over. And, um, you know, that's going to be a long game probably to, to get them reinstated if it's possible at all. But I believe it's a goal worth pursuing. And frankly, this is something that I feel like I have to atone for. And maybe other people in the MMA media want to take a long look in the mirror. I'm happy to admit it myself. Well, not happy, but, uh, I have no problems. I should say admitting it. We, we, we left them behind. We did. Their ostracism became normalized and we just let it ride. And I don't know that at the time it all happened, we were really in a position to push back. You know, pushing back does take some measure of institutional support, which is why Fox's support of Ariel, uh, which, which was unequivocal, is so important, right? Like you need all of that um, to get the job done effectively. And I'm not saying, again, they wouldn't have. Uh, that Again, if it had happened to me, but I just feel like all the ingredients, like you picked on the wrong guy in the wrong way, there was this collateral damage that seemed really obscene. All of these factors built up at this moment in time. People are like, why did you stand up for Gross and, and, and Hunt? And, and there really is no response to that. But I also do feel like you can't say the situations are identical in terms of the moment in time in which you could push back. You know, would Richard Deitch have, and, and Rachel Nichols and Scott Van Pelt and the CBC, would they really have cared back then? Well, if they cared back then, they didn't show it. They didn't show it either. And it wasn't like people weren't complaining about it. They just, this is a different time in the sport. This is a different time in the sport. But we should use this current moment in time, not merely to do and express the journalism as we have uh, either failed to do or could do more of, um, but as an opportunity to revisit the opportunity to get those people put back in because their ostracism is not fair and it, and it needs to end. And uh, you know how you get from A to B? We'll figure that out. But um, all of us need to take a long look in the mirror in the, in the media and say, okay, there's more we can do here. This is not over. I'm glad that obviously I'm super thrilled that my colleagues um, were able to be put back in. But the story is not finished being written yet. This Their return to work needs to mean that Gross can return to work and that Hunt, to the extent she wants to, can return to work. I can't speak for them, of course. But, um, but that at a minimum, they're blackballing ceases to exist. And I, and I regret 
uh, to whatever extent I contributed to it. I mean, I'm sure I spoke out at the time. I have to go back and look, but you know, did I take any hard action to um, have those figures reinstated? I mean, you can speak out all you want, and that's not any irrelevant thing. But is that the most impactful thing? Clearly not, right? Clearly not. There has to be more than that. And uh, um, you know, again, getting there, I don't, I don't. That's a separate conversation we can have over a different time, but uh, that needs to happen. That's a major priority. You know, in fact, you know, them, the UFC acknowledging that banning him and my other colleagues um, really was this gross exaggeration to, frankly, an innocuous slight, if you can even call it a slight, uh, I think opens the door for us to, at a minimum, start revisiting these conversations about um, those who have been left behind because they shouldn't be left behind anymore. All right. Uh, there's people arguing in the thread. <laughs> uh, okay. And there's more questions about this, so we'll tackle them as you list them. Uh, UFC 199, greatest of all time. Luke, would you say this card was one of the best ever? A fight of the year candidate to kick off the prelims. Three knockouts to close out the prelims. An epic finish from Hendo Bisping with the massive upset, etc. Off the top of my head, the only card that I can think of that was about as good as this one is UFC 189. And then Rockwell Bisping won fight pass card from November 2014, which had all finishes, you'll remember. And then last year's Hendo Boach card. Um, no, I've seen more entertaining post-fight pressers uh, boxing cards. The post-fight press conference between Amir Khan and Lamont Peterson was a borderline riot. So that was crazy. Um, this is certainly one of the better ones, 199. I thought the, 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 the card dragged a little bit in the middle. Uh, started out great. And there were, obviously, I'm not saying the middle of the card was bad. Um, but it dragged a little bit. I felt like 189 was just like this crescendo into greatness. So, But, I mean, it's certainly in the conversation, to your point. Like, 199, that was really the shame of this whole thing. The UFC buried their own story by going after reporters. I mean, it was, it was strategically so – I don't think it was – this is how you know it wasn't thought out because it's if it was strategy, it's incredibly poor strategy, right? Um, it can't be strategy. It, it it has to be this like this this irrational, angry uh, reaction, and uh, that's why it wound up having all of these uh, uh, hugely negative consequences. But um, but yeah, like the, here's the truth of it: one ninety nine was awesome. It was super awesome. Uh, Poirier looked like a beast. Hendo had this unbelievable KO. I thought Max Holloway and Ricardo Lamas going like this, like this, and then they slinging it out was, I was laughing. I was so happy. Uh, and then, of course, the co-main event, Dominic Cruz is a genius. And then that, in the main event, Michael Bisping had the easiest fight of his UFC career in winning the middleweight title on 17 days against the guy he'd already lost to. What? <laughs> what? It, it just, it, it, it defies any kind. Uh, everyone wants to be pressing it about, their knowledge of the sport, but truthfully, even if you had predicted Bisping, you know, where you were going to say Bisping's going to have the easiest time with this one. He's going to be so much better this time. It's like I never heard, it, except for Bisping himself, I didn't hear anyone else say that, or maybe Jason Perillo or something. Uh, technique talk from Reddit: There have been zero non-neck related submissions in the UFC year to date. What happened to Kimura's arm bars, leg locks? Does any of this surprise you? There have been 18 rear naked chokes, two triangles, two guillotines, two arm triangles, one go-go, one von flu, one neck crank. That is interesting. I think, one, there have been arm bar attempts, but none of them went anywhere, so that should be noted. 
Um, there was even that Kimura that turned into that straight arm bar attempt from 199. Um, but boy, that is a very interesting question. You know, I asked, uh, the, the truth about the neck is it's just easy to get to. And once you get to certain positions, um, it's very easy to attack. Like your neck can't go anywhere. It's trapped between your head and your shoulders. Your arms, they have a line of defense. You've got your hands, you got your elbows. You can push, you can pull. They're hard to control. You have to control someone's body before you can get a hold of their arm. You have to sit. remember here, if you guys watch the Monday Morning Analyst, where are you strong? Elbows in, elbows stuck to your ribs. Here, you're very strong. Out here, as your arms get wide, here you're very weak that's why those gymnasts they do the iron cross because they're at the weakest point by having a full extension of their arms right that's the demonstration of strength look how strong i am at the weakest leveraging point um so it's hard to get someone's arm away from their body uh, and i think you know there's probably a combination of them going for things less um and then having less finesse with it i think some of these submissions are a bit of a lost art but like you know the neck the rear naked choke, you know, you get behind someone, it, it is easy to attack their neck. You look at Demi and Maya, I don't want to take punches. How can I avoid that? I'll just move to your back. And from your back, I will slowly work. I'll maintain control and I'll find a way in. It may take me a round or two or close to three, but I'll eventually find it. So that makes sense. The triangle, a lot of these triangles are arm bars that fail. You go look at Alex Dufresne against, um, 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 Marlis Kunin. Well, I guess that was a triangle arm bar, but you know what I'm talking about. A lot of them wind up being arm bars that fail and they will spin into a triangle or sometimes vice versa. The guillotine, you can, you can do it standing. You can jump it. You can grab it in a scramble. Lots of ways you can do that. The arm triangle passing on top. It's a good way to control someone. Even if you lose it, you can still maintain top control. The go-go is just an interesting one. Von flu, you can get donks with, and then the neck crank, um, you know, it's just a he-man move, but the point is, is you can't move your neck around. You can kind of seal different outlets to it, but it, it's 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 sort of trapped biologically speaking in, in in the in the larger architecture of your body. Even your head, you can kind of move around. You can slip punches, right? But your neck is still kind of it's just an isolated part of your body um, that is has no real defense other than your hands getting up here. But your hands hang naturally down. It's a little bit easier to keep them, you know, around your waist level or chest level than it is around your chin. This takes a dedicated amount of um, training and discipline and muscle memory. So, but it's an interesting point. That's something worth paying attention to. And the thing worth paying attention to is to what extent do you get other than, you know, do you get the Kimuras and the arm bars and the leg locks in other organizations? I think I, I would wonder if there's a difference there. Do you guys drink your BCAAs in the middle of your workout? If so, let me know and why. But that is a really good question. Uh, true, false. The UFC reinstated Ariel due to overwhelming public backlash. I am sure that contributed. True. Two, Machida was the first one to expose Rockhold's vulnerability to counter-strikes. Um, false, but he, he certainly did, maybe to an extent. Bisping versus Weidman is likely to happen at MSG in November. False. Despite dominating Faber, Dominic Cruz looked rather slow and fatigued throughout the fight. False. Everyone talks about that deep breath he takes, right? The okay, He was on my radio show, and I asked him about it. I was like, were you tired? He goes, nope. I do it on purpose. You'll see me do it from the first round to the fifth. It's a metronome. It times everything, right? So he goes, and then he launches off that beat whatever combination of footwork or attack he wants to do. 
it, it helps him time everything. In fact, I think to the extent you can disrupt his breathing, you might be able to disrupt everything else. Um, probably not, but it's at least worth pursuing. The UFC brass are aware that Mark Hunt will more than likely KO Lesnar in the first round. You all seem very certain about this. I do not. Now, are you asking me, Luke, should Mark Hunt be the favorite? Yes, he should, of course. Who would you pick to win with a gun to your head and, you know, will pay off your mortgage if you're right? I would pick Hunt. I'm not disagreeing with you. However, uh, I don't understand what you're thinking here. Some of you are like, oh, my God, Lesnar's going to die. You sure about that? You sure about that in a wildly unpredictable sport where he is barely an underdog, according to the odds makers? Bisping was nearly plus 600. Lesnar is less than plus 200. And everyone's saying, how could you make this comparison? Look, I heard about it on Twitter from everyone who is committing the exact same fallacy over and over again. The sport is wildly unpredictable, not merely in outcomes as such, but in the method and nature of those outcomes and the type of outcomes. It is wildly unpredictable. And the fallacy that you commit is that in this particular sense, in this particular occasion, I can ascribe a degree of certainty to this that I can't to this one. You can describe a degree to an extent, to an extent, a limited extent of likelihood. But in this particular case, I am not sure where that certainty uh, comes from. Uh, this is a sport that is super, super difficult to predict. Is it true that Mark Hunt's takedown defense, particularly off the double, has gotten significantly better? No doubt about it. And he lands one shot on Lesnar, and we all think, we all at least have an idea about what's going to happen. A lot of this and a lot of that, right? Okay. But here's the truth about Hunt's takedown defense. He has very good one-shot stop. He is a terrible scrambler still. To the extent that he can fake a shot, get in on a double, and then turn into something else, he can get on top. And I'm sorry, if you don't think he can win from there, I don't know what to tell you. I am not saying that's the likeliest outcome. I am not saying you should bet on that. What I am saying is this certainty that you ascribe to his death is your own imagination. It is your imagination running wild. You are committing the exact same fallacy uh, by saying, well, this one is different. Bisping is a trained fighter. Uh, Rockhold is a trained fighter. They are active competitors in the middle of their career. So what? So what? We are talking about the relative difference between two things. And it's true that in certain respects, Hunt is a terrible matchup for Lesnar. It is also true that there are plenty of rational ways in which you can frame Lesnar's abilities to say, it is not in any way inconceivable that he can win. It may not be the likeliest of outcomes, but it's not so remote that it's worthy of your, your, your frankly, uh, you know, glib dismissiveness. No, 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 no. That is not how this works. I don't buy that for a second. I'm going to take that challenge from Lesnar very seriously, and so should you. Because Hunt's takedown defense, for sure, right? If he can time your takedown off a double, he gets his hips back and to the mat quickly but if you can force him to scramble a little bit he doesn't have anything for you that's not where he excels he excels the people trying to come on and, and get a shot on him and yeah lesnar doesn't take punishment well at all no doubt about it but but you know one of the odds makers have this as just to look this up as fight odds this one has been driven me crazy 5200 lesnar is plus 158 that's it that's it so this idea that like, well, he's got an impending death. Yeah, you might be right that Hunt's going to win. Again, I'll, I suspect Hunt will win. But I'm not going to be in any way surprised if he can get a second effort 
on that takedown, Lesnar, and then he gets on top, and then he smashes Hunt to pieces. You should not be surprised if that happens. That is in no way some some uh, profoundly unlikely possibility. The only reason you're doing that is because you're discounting his chances because you're you're grossly overestimating Hunt's. Hunt is the favorite, deservedly so. I will not argue otherwise. I will never argue that Lesnar deserves to be the favorite. Way too many question marks about it. But stylistically, there are reasons to imagine that the idea of Lesnar making it competitive, while not the likeliest outcome, is not so unlikely that it's worthy of scorn to even suggest as much. Not true. It's ironic that a few months ago, Luke Rockhold said he didn't want to fight at UFC 199. I guess it is now, true. It's strange that Jacare was walking around at UFC 199 when he was supposed to be injured. No, that's not strange. False. Dustin Poirier is the hardest hitter at lightweight. He, he might be the best boxer in the pocket who can change angles on you. Boy, he is nasty at that. Right in tight, phone booth style boxing, and then changing angles on you. He is very good at that. Cody Garbrandt will at some point beat Dominic Cruz to become the bantamweight champion. I'll say false for now, but I don't say that with very much confidence. Dan Henderson is one of the toughest fighters in MMA history. Oh, I mean, he was tough before Saturday night, you know. Yes. I mean, he's fought guys way out of his weight class. He's had losses and then come back from. He has, I mean, he's done everything. He's done He's done anything you could possibly ask someone to do. Um, he's He's a legend. Fantasy matchups, Bisping versus Jacare. I don't know how you, <laughs> I don't know how you say Jacare can't win that. Uh, Rockhold, Rockhold versus Musasi. I still go with Rockhold. Weidman versus Romero. Probably go with Weidman if he can stay healthy. Cruz versus DJ two. I would still go with Cruz, but I, I agree with Joe Rogan. That's a very different fight this time. Faber versus Sterling. Mm, probably Sterling. Holloway versus Aldo. See, Holloway takes a lot of leg kicks. Um, we'll see. I might say Holloway, but we'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to cop out. Poirier versus Pettis. Well, Pettis is dropping at 145, but at this point, I have to go with Poirier, right? I mean, how can you not? Vitor versus Lombard. Oof, Jesus. Still go with Lombard. Uh, Lesnar versus Barnett. Barnett. And one more true-false, and then I'll move on from true-falses. Uh, by 200, it does more pay-per-view buys than 202. I think it'll be competitive, actually. I'll say false. By the, uh, the time we get to UFC 202 fight week, Nate Diaz will be a betting favorite. False. Conor McGregor's going to talk you all into betting on things uh and I, I, to go back to the betting lines with lesnar and rock and um hunt those aren't definitive declarations of odds makers beliefs part of those are lines that get shift on who bets on them part of those lines are set by the idea that you know we can get betting on this if we set it a certain way they are not these ultimate mathematical fixtures of certainty either um however that it's that much closer than what Bisping Rockhold was is at least enough evidence, uh, not by itself, but enough evidence to suggest that the idea of dismissing Lesnar out of hand, that he has no chance 
That's the only thing I'm objecting to. I'm not objecting to picking Hunt, nor am I objecting to making Hunt the favorite, nor am I suggesting that the odds are some mathematical model that tells us the certainty of things. That's not it either. But it is at least some kind of evidence, uh, at least a little bit, that the closeness of this is greater than Lesnar's detractors um, perceive. Uh, even after beating Luke Rockhold, Michael Bisping being number nine pound for pound is ridiculous. Uh, I would agree with that. Michael Bisping should be the underdog against any of the top three middleweights. I don't think that's a crazy thought either, to be honest. Uh, Luke Thomas would have enjoyed a lot more the UFC 200 promo. Had Errol Hawani not spoiled it? No. I, I, I'm, he spoiled nothing to me. If the UFC asked Luke Thomas to replace Joe Rogan, he would accept without hesitation. Never. No chance. Not that I wouldn't be flattered necessarily, but no, I do not wish to work for the UFC. If Luke Thomas had to choose one pay-per-view between 200 and 202, he would choose 200, no doubt. Correct. Doesn't mean I don't want to see 202, but given the choice here. Dominic Cruz should be the number two pound-for-pound fighter in the world. False, but he could be. Uh, I can make. I can make a case that he could be top five for sure. Brock Lesnar still to this day is the biggest pay-per-view attraction the UFC has ever had. He's in the conversation, but we don't really know. UFC 200 is the best fight card in the history of the sport. Uh, it's pretty damn good. I'll have to think about that some more. Uh, Ariel Hawani had to tell the UFC who his sources are for them to accept to lift his ban. False. There's no chance he revealed that. And I don't even know that to be sure, but I know that to be sure. Brock Lesnar knew the day he retired that he would be coming back and he has been working on his striking sense. No, I doubt that. But he's probably been staying relatively in shape and maybe, maybe, maybe working on his real wrestling. Nate Diaz. Have you heard about Nate Diaz and the crew getting into some kind of fight backstage with Clay Guida's older brother? Just a misunderstanding. I saw a Snapchat from um, uh, Nicholas Dalby who said that. But other than that, I don't know anything. Nor, And frankly, nor do I care. Uh, Diaz McGregor 2. Rematch official, what are your initial thoughts on how the fight will go? Will Nate do it again? What does Connor have to change to have a different outcome? My thoughts of this will be much closer this time, and that in the end, it will be the same result. Now, not necessarily like some, you know, desperate clash on the ground where Nate Diaz thrashes him. I don't know that. But I think the point to, that Paulie Malinaji made to me was correct. It was like, if you look at that fight, you could tell on the feet, like, Conor McGregor had something for him early and then just faded pretty quickly thereafter. I mean, I don't think he'll fade that quickly, but eventually the bigger man's going to take the bigger punch. And uh, and I think this time he'll be a little bit more ready for what he was doing. So um, I expect it to be much closer the second time around, but in the end, I just wonder if Nate Diaz and guys that size generally, they're just too big, you know. But I don't think that this is going to be – everyone's like, Conor McGregor has no jujitsu. I bet you in the second fight you won't think that. I bet you. Uh, also, Diaz McGregor, mini true false. Nate never fights again after 202. False. UFC 202 does more paper buys than 100 and 200. It might. It really might. Diaz McGregor 3 happens at 209. <laughs> uh, that'd be kind of cool if it did, I guess. If there's if if there's a need to make it happen, that'd be kind of cool. Edit 209. I'm going to read this real quickly. Uh, Luke, uh, while I love Ariel and anybody denies that... He, and anybody who denies that he is the best in the world, what he does is an idiot. Pretending that he is the only one to get banned like this would be a disservice to other MMA journalists like Snowden, Gross, Hunt, and others. On the MMA Hour, Ariel brought up the idea that maybe the MMA journalists 
to come up with your own union to help guard against your rights as a journalist. Your thoughts. Stay tuned. Did the UFC sabotage itself? Luke, the night of UFC 199 was truly unforgettable. Uh, the crazy fights, some massive upsets, Hendo winning, Bespin becoming champion, an unforgettable post-fight presser, the announcements of Brock's return, and blah, 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 blah. And yet the headline that garnered the most attention from media outlets was the UFC's treatment and actions towards the MMA fighting crew, primarily Ariel. It got, the, it got to the point that a large amount of sports, blah, 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 we already went over this. By doing what they did, do you feel the UFC sabotaged itself? Yes, I've been over this already. They certainly made a very improper choice about how to handle that. Instead of basking in the glow of all good things that happened on the night of UFC 199, the UFC wound up becoming a target of massive blowback and bad press, making news for the wrong reasons. This is all, of course, correct. But again, the biggest news is not merely that they buried the idea that 199 was really good and worthy of examination, because that—that that, I mean, that's certainly true. I wouldn't disagree with it. The bigger concern there was they were they were this close to developing a reputation among the larger sports world of being bullies and. Um, and trying to control the message and being unfair and being, you know, essentially nasty to the media. They were that close to developing a reputation, something that they had avoided for a very long time. But to the extent you want to become mainstream, you're going to get mainstream examination. And, um, you know, mainstream examination for everything, I don't think we would want, but for the big stuff, we would. And this certainly qualifies as that. And um, this is the good news. The good news now is it is not merely within the, it's not an, it's not an internecine battle in the community. It is now this larger sports world weighing in on it. And that has a much more profound effect. Um, and that's good. That's good. We're not trying to, we don't have some angry cause as journalists. We just want the freedom to do our job. There is one way to do your job, and that is correctly and honestly and fairly and thoroughly. This does not mean we now have license to say horrible things about them. I'm not even interested in that other than to the extent it might be, it might be merited. But I just want to be able to do my job without having to look over my shoulder all the time and wonder if I'm going to be able to, 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 to you know, go to an event. No, I don't want to live that way. And you don't want media that has to live that way. Nobody, nobody wins when you do that. Either you'll see my finger winning. They're really not. They're really not. You know, har harboring resentment, um, creating enemies when they don't need to be, get, get, you know, forcing people into these bizarre states of coverage. Like, that's not a real way to win, especially if you want to be taken seriously. Um, so there you go. Fucking Ariel, you got to get more specific because I've kind of already gone over it. Uh, Lesnar. Oh, I've been getting asked this, uh, quite a bit. Um, I've been getting asked, what would you have done if Dana White had told you to get out? Um, I'd have gotten out. I'm not, I'm not getting I'm not getting in a fist fight over a credential. Uh, I'm I'm a large human. Uh, I understand that. And you know, if someone put hands on me in a in the, if I'm riding the metro or something. Well, sure. Well, then we have a different story. But if someone in a position to take away my credential, however terrible the reasons might be, says to do that and they escort you out, you go out. I'm, I'm not committing any crimes to preserve a credential. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'm not going to end up on World Star uh, to preserve a credential. I'm going to do the peaceful thing. 
the thing a rational person would do, even though I'm in an irrational situation and I would just comply with their demands. That's, that's exactly, that's what you do. Um, I thought the crew handled it correctly. It is a crazy situation that you're forced into, but such is life and you just proceed with it as such. All right. Um, your immediate thoughts on Brock's return. Does it make up for McGregor not being on the card? It certainly tries to fulfill that role, that, that casual hook. We'll see if it works. Part of me, I am not declaring that uh, Lesnar is not the star that he used to be. I took calls on this on my radio show. I had fans telling me that he's maybe more popular than ever. I had others telling me that they don't really care about seeing this. They've kind of already seen what he has to do in MMA. Um, I suspect we can at least at a minimum split the difference, if not that the original caller telling me he's more popular than ever is correct. Um but uh, I am curious to see exactly how big his drawing power is um, because we'll see what he says about Hunt. This is not really a grudge match. It's not Mir all over again. Um, and, you know, when he had to go up against JDS and eventually turn into, um, well, JDS turned into JDS Carwin. But when he was on the show with JDS, there was, it didn't, the ratings weren't great, even though it was Brock Lesnar. And this is pay-per-view. That's different. He's a pay-per-view monster. I, all I'm saying is, I am not in any way declaring he won't sell well on pay-per-view. I am merely saying I've got a little bit of a wait-and-see approach. I'll probably talk to Dave Meltzer. He'll have a much better sense about these kinds of things. But am I happy that he's back? I mean, yeah, it's cool. It's great that the guy who uh, you know who who was part of the, the, the first – look, this sport, it operates on boom and bust cycles, right? You have these, these huge grand moments uh, of um, – you know, massive sales and these big fights and this, everyone's kind of into MMA and then it's going to go away. This, this Rousey McGregor era, it's going to end. And when it ends, the sport's going to take a dip again and it's not going to be as fun as it for a while. And then a new set of crazy stars will emerge and it'll go back up. The, the sport is, is that that's just the cycle of things. And it always has been even through Valley Tudo days, not so much in the same kind of mechanism, but that there are these larger factors that the, the public's appetite for fights is insatiable at times. And then it's quiet at times. That's often driven by stars, but uh, other factors as well. Um, regulation two can affect that, but you get the idea in any case to have the guy who is part of the first generation for the UFC anyway, of a real boom period. Now you might be able to say, you know, um, Couture and Liddell were probably that first one. And I wouldn't dispute that so much, but the enormous heights that Lesnar took it to were, I, th I think for that era, peerless to have that guy coming in and competing in the new boom period, the Rousey and McGregor era. It's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Who could be against such a thing? And it's for a fight. It's a little bit bubblegum, but the rest of that card is just all excellent. So, so, um, so yeah, like who could be against such a thing, you know? Now, everyone was complaining about the four-month window that has to be uh, a part of anyone coming out of retirement or, you know, um, uh, you know, even, uh, there's more than just the retirement clause. But certainly for people coming out of retirement, there's that four-month window where they have to get tested, but the UFC can waive it. Everyone's calling this some sort of some kind of anti-doping scandal. I don't think it's really a scandal, but it just shows you that like there are limits to how thorough they want anti-doping to be. And I don't I don't know that this is the greatest, you know, um, challenge to anti-doping I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he's uh, under anti-doping um, under USADA uh, scrutiny now, but. And I certainly understand the promoter's position that like this gives us the nimbleness to acquire people on short short notice, which is what I think is the case. And I know Lesnar was like, this has been in the works for months. Uh, I don't buy that. But because um, if it was and he wasn't under testing, 
I guess it didn't have to be as long as it's under like contractual discussion, but you get the idea. Um, but that, that ability for them to waive it, um, you know, there are limits to the amount of anti-doping they're going to do. And everyone's like, why did they threaten it with Connor? Because they could. <laughs> Simple as that, because they could. Uh, it would work as a negotiating tactic. They can enforce it and waive it whenever they want. Um, and that's written into the that's written into the bylaws. That's written into the rules. You know, so um, not bylaws, but it's written, written into the the regulations, the code. So there you go. There's a limit to this. <laughs> Someone says, "What happens if Brock manages to defeat Hunt and then Usada pops him for the biggest cocktail of steroids ever recorded?" It's a one and done anyway. If you're Brock Lesnar, I mean, I'm not saying why would you, but you know there are circumstances here where they're waiving your four month period. If it's really a one and done, you know what really are the costs to doing something about it? Not 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 much. Best never to wear gold. When who do you consider to be the best UFC athlete to never wear gold in the organization other than being his captured belt? Uh, maybe Kenny Florian. Um, someone says Faber. Henderson, I keep forgetting Henderson because he's worn gold in so many other organizations. Diaz brothers and Florian, yeah, those are probably great, great choices. Um, I think Bisping's win is historic. Again, the odds only tell a part of the story, but to the extent that they do, um, his win is not too dissimilar from the odds that separated uh, Matt Sarah's first win over GSP. That was only, a, I think, there was a plus seven hundred prior to prior to that. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's majorly historic. I mean, first UK champion, the guy who did it on incredibly short notice, um, um, the guy who already lost to, and then he wins with KO quite easily by making a tactical adjustment, which we went over in the Monday Morning Analyst. It's massive. It's a it's a it's a here's a here's the sad part about what was lost with the whole credential business. Mike Bisping's win over Luke Rockhold is a historic UFC win, truly. It's a historic UFC upset. It is a historic moment for European MMA, and it should have been celebrated as such. But, you know, we all know what happened. Rose says, I've only had a few holy S moments in my life in terms of upsets. Dillashaw Burrell, I didn't quite have a holy S, but I was certainly surprised. Silva Weidman, I had one. Rousey Holm, I had one. GSP Sarah, I had one. And Rockhold Bisping. Uh, yeah, those are good ones. Sure. And also the way in which the fight between Diaz and McGregor just sort of, as D as as McGregor like fairly quickly collapsed, um, that was kind of surprising too. That he lost not so much. That it happened just like so precipitously. Yes. Uh, Rockhold versus Bisping. Hey Luke, with all this talk from Rockhold about him not taking the fight seriously and stuff, my question is: Did Bisping win or did Rockhold lose? Uh, Bisping won. He made some tactical changes, but Rockhold also made. A, go back. I mean, I keep playing the Monday morning analyst, but I'm telling you, go back and watch that jab that he does. He 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 talked about the post fight press conference, and he's absolutely correct. Uh, sometimes fighters after a fight will assess their performance, win or lose, and you'll be, you'll be like, "What are you talking about?" I thought Rockholds was sober and absolutely correct. Um, when he throws the right, he likes to surrender inside foot positioning and throw a check hook with his right hand. And he had thrown a jab before. But he had done it with enough space so that he could, because Rocco likes to throw with the right and then, sorry, and then lean. He loves to lean and then the, the punches whiz past him. That's what he likes to do. And what he did was essentially he was way too close when he threw a jab and, he re, and his base got so wide. So that by the time he retreated, do was 
what he was doing the first fight was he was doing jab cross jab jab cross or jab cross low kick and what he did this time was jab cross both of them missed but he had shortened the space enough so that the left hook comes around or like almost like a left straight depending on how you want to talk about his hips being and foot foot feet being positioned but that final third punch is the one that closed the show um so it was bisping but here's the difference bisping hardly ever threw that third left punch in the first fight he only did it like on two occasions the whole time and didn't do it until several minutes into the fight in this fight he was throwing it right away the whole time so did luke make a mistake yes he did did bisping uh start the fight knowing he had to make tactical adjustments and did he make the correct ones and apply them when he had to yes this is what i'm talking about when i say at the highest level of the sport you literally you literally make one two mistakes and you get cooked cooked that's all it was that's all it was he his his positioning was way too far inside and then when he exited he had no hands up and that's what cost him his championship it's no more complicated than that uh let's see but people say oh are you undermining my bisping by saying rockhold made a mistake no no like that's this is routine that guys will make a mistake it's hard to not make mistakes to fight a really great fight where you stay in your lane the whole time and nothing accidental happens did did gsp fight a perfect fight against condon no he almost got finished he still managed to win he still managed to apply his skills so that's the difference is gsp can make a mistake and still hang on rockhold was not able to you know uh there's a question about women's mma double k versus nama Yunus. It's a tough one because Double K is real strong. So I like Nama Yunus, but that's a tough one. Uh, Andrade is strawweight debut. Oh my god, man! This is a real question about you know the abuse that Jessica Penny has taken in the last two fights and what it might have done to her. Um, Andrade looked awesome at one twenty five, or uh, yeah, one twenty five. Sorry, she uh, no, sorry, one fifteen. What am I saying? She looked incredible. Uh, and then Laterno Calderwood at one twenty five. What are your early thoughts on this fight? Do you think the UFC has serious plans? To form a 125 division. I think they're probably testing it out, you know. Uh, okay. Do you, th Ariel, on the MMA media union, do you think the UFC would have withdrawn the ban on Ariel and the others, even if the public outcry from the other members of the media and the fans had not been as loud? Probably not. But I can't say for certainty. Uh, do you think Ariel opening up about the UFC 199 incident and earlier disputes on the MMA hour had an effect on the UFC's change of heart? Uh, I think everything that happened probably had an effect to some degree. Now, to what extent? I don't know. But sure, you know. Uh, and I think the things he discussed in that whole, geez, what was it, like two hours? Um, I think it was important to be candid about him, um, about the things he had done right, the things he was the victim of, things he had done wrong, things he regrets, things he doesn't regret things uh everything i think all of that was important uh as a matter of starting clean and you know getting on the appropriate footing both for himself and and uh you know the rest of the site there has been a lot of mma excuse me there's been a lot of talk about mma fighters needing to hit band together in the last couple of years is it possible this ufc 199 controversy will start more talk about an mma media unionizing yeah sure it's possible Lesnar Hunt excitement meter. All right. Luke, on a scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you about the Lesnar Hunt matchup? 
Um, seven or an eight? It's pretty high, right? Probably, probably an eight. Probably an eight. Uh, and who do you who's your early pick to win the fight? Again, I think Hunt is the appropriate choice there. But I'm not like, oh my god, <laughs> Lesnar's gonna die. No, I'm not. I'm not playing that game anymore. Uh, Brock Lesnar and his sponsors. Have you heard if Brock gets to keep any of his sponsors? I haven't even thought twice about it. I mean, I hope, you know, I'm not saying, I, I, I'm not trying to dismiss your question. I apologize. But I, uh, of everything going on, um, Brock Lesnar getting to promote beef jerky has not been at the forefront of my thoughts the last few days. This being Rockhold 3. All right. Luke, what are your thoughts on the whole Bisping versus Rockhold saga that happened after the fight? Rockhold called Bisping classless in victory. Bisping called Rockhold a word that was very disrespectful to the LGBT community, and he should be getting way more heat for it, but due to other things happening in the MMA world, it has been ignored. That's true, too. And generally, the heat between those two still seems to be alive and kicking. Was this all just deployed by Rockhold to get an immediate rematch from the UFC by trying to prove that they could sell the fight easily? Let's talk about what uh, Bisping said, the, uh, the old... Um, the was it the six letter F word? Um, here's the truth about that. He should apologize for that. He should do so right away, and then we should move on from it. I do not have any reason to suspect that um, Michael Bisping is any kind of real homophobe. Michael Bisping is, I think, just a little bit older than me. And if you came from my generation, look, have I used that word before? Uh, yeah, I grew up using that word. When I grew up, everyone used that word. Um, I had to unlearn how to use it because it's not appropriate anymore. Times have changed. This is why when people have that debate about the Redskins and the team name, now again, that Washington Post study, to the extent you can trust those results, about 9 and 10 approving of it, but let's say it wasn't that case. Let's say it was, say, 50-50. It was still murky, right? People have been like, have you always known that that, have you always thought that the name should have been changed? No. Civilization is a learned behavior, and it doesn't necessarily occur to everyone that they're making a mistake. You have to convince people. Um, you know, again, one of my favorite writers, I think he's a little bit out to lunch recently, but one of my favorite writers has been Andrew Sullivan. Andrew Sullivan retired from blogging and has written for New York Magazine. And there's a lot of things I disagree with him on. Um, and he did an interview on the Ezra Klein show. There was a lot, I thought he was out to lunch. However, um, one of the points he made was he was one of the first people to make the intellectual case for gay marriage, right? How do I, how do I, if I had to argue this with you, not argue, argue, but if I had to like make a case before you in a civil, thoughtful, composed, intellectual way, how do I do that? And he did that in an article and in a book. The book, I believe, is called Virtually Normal. Um, but he is essentially in America and maybe even worldwide the intellectual, at least in the modern age, although these kinds of homosexual relationships had existed for centuries, it turns out. But in terms of the modern age of marriage, um, virtually normal is considered, you know, um, uh, maybe one of the most important works in the intellectual case, and frankly, a conservative case, he would tell you, for gay marriage. This is the point, though. You have to, his point was to not go around and call everyone homophobes. His point was, these acts are not fair. This is an infringement of our rights. This is an infringement of our identity as Americans. Um, this needs to be changed. These attitudes towards homosexuality need to be changed. I'm going to debate these points with you. Now, I don't think that what Bisping said is worthy of debate. It's wrong. He should apologize. But you notice as soon as he said it, he was like, eh. he, he kind of made a mistake. Um, he has had nothing else that I'm aware of in his career where he has given any indication that this is some sort of uh, view of his. And you're going to say, you're trying to forgive him. What I'm trying to do is, I, 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 I do think he should apologize. I do think he should acknowledge it. The fact that he hasn't, I think, is the, a problem. Like, he should talk about that, right? Like, 
Don't just pretend you didn't do it. Say something about it. But I also don't want to burn this guy at the stake for something he said when he was arguing with a heated rival and losing his mind. Um, these are probably words that I, I hope are not in his vernacular, that he doesn't circulate. I'm just, the only thing I'm saying is, to the extent he takes ownership for it and responsibility for it, I'm happy after that to move on. Um for the other sort of contextual reasons that I've given. What I don't want to do is say, oh my God, Michael Bisping is the most homophobic person on earth and this is the end of the world. If he denies the, the value in apologizing for it, if he pretends that this didn't happen, okay, then that's problematic. But um, I'm just not ready to declare him, you know, the world's greatest hater of homosexuality and, and homosexual love. I don't, I'm, I'm not in a position to do that just, just quite yet. Anyway. It was the greatest post-fight presser ever. It was bizarre, man. It was like the fight never happened. And it was the only thing that was different in the uh, post-fight presser was that Faber seemed no longer interested in the beef with Cruz. He seemed over it. Cruz did not seem over it, but Faber did. Faber seemed like he had some other things on his mind and that he had emotionally um, turned a bit of a corner there. And uh, I was actually glad to see. Okay, let's talk about Kimbo Slice. Good. How did Kimbo get medically cleared to go fight next month when it turned out he was in need of a heart transplant before his recent meeting? Does this indicate that his illness was very sudden or is this an indication of some foul play with the medical examination? So here's the issue. And Barbas is here. Barbas. Um if you look at the Texas regulation, if you, you have to get a uh, medical examination, if you're over the age of 35, um, an EKG and an EEG is mandatory. And that actually happened, I believe, around 07 or 08 uh, when a fighter in a professional show named Sammy Vasquez died. I remember when Sammy Vasquez died. Uh, and I remember when some MMA sites wouldn't even talk about it. I'm like, this dude just died in a professional show. But be, that's old. I don't, I don't even care about that anymore. But um, okay. So that's, I think, when that was added. If you're over 35, they had some additional screenings. But if you look at their medical requirements, they're only valid for the first, uh, I mean, they're valid for a six-month window. A six-month window? Let me pull that up just to be um, precise. I don't want to speak out of turn. Uh, Jonathan Snowden had posted on Twitter. And that is worth taking a look at. Yeah, here's the requirements, right? This is for Texas. Number one, blood work. HIV, hepatitis B, surface antigen, hepatitis C antibody, blood work must be done within six months of the event. Physical, a physical is required and must be administered by a licensed MD or DO, a licensed DO, really. Physical is valid for six months, an eye exam. Eye exam is required and must be performed uh, by either a licensed optometrist or a licensed ophthalmologist. The eye exam is valid for six months. EKG, not at this time. No radiology, no, neurolo no neurological exam. Again, hold on just a second. Urinalysis, none. <laughs> they might do some on fight night, but you know it's not, it's not to get a license. Female fighters. Female fighters must also submit a pregnancy test, which must be done at the weigh-in. Okay, Jesus, at least they did that correctly. Older fighters, fighters 36 and older, so over 35 must submit an EEG and an EKG. These tests are valid for six months. Additional requirements, none at this time. Okay. So that's how you get a license in Texas. Um, I'm guessing, to your question, and we're looking into this, I'm guessing that the reality is um, 
whatever tests he had were not particularly thorough. I don't know if he went to a family doctor or I don't know if he went to a DO. I don't know who he went to, but I, what I can say is there was at least a big window. Let me pull up his record. Could he have done it between those two events? Uh, let's see. The question for me is not Texas, right? So he beat Ken Shamrock in June of 2015. So July, August, September, October, November, December. So that means he had to get another one before February because it hadn't been within six months at a minimum, right? So at some point before February, he got another one and they didn't detect it or whatever the case may be. I'm less concerned with that because, well, it's not that I'm not concerned about it, but the regulations are what they are. There's this massive gap such that you can have these health complications and they don't notice it because there's these huge windows. You mean you tell me you can have an HIV test and fight five months later and you could have banged a hundred people in five months, all of them with an outrageous amount of sexually transmitted and communicable diseases, and then go fight. You take your health into your own hands when you compete in Texas, ladies and gentlemen. But okay, the regulations are what they are. We can't we can't change those. To me, the issue was what were the regulations that the uh, Bellator was using when they went when they were going to go to England. Now they're regulated by the ISKA. What are their regulations? I need to reach out to them. Here we go. International Sport Kickboxing Association. That's just their name, but they do. Here we go. ISK rules. Um, let's see. Do they even have anything about that? No, not in these. I'll have to reach out to them. I don't even know exactly uh, what their situation is, but but there you go. Oh, wait, here we go. Here's the ISKA for Australia. Uh, okay, safety, health safety policy. I'll have to look. It's just too much information. But there you go. That, to me, is the question. Because as you mentioned, the next event is what, like in six weeks, not even something like that, relatively July 19th or something, something like that. It's not, not too far from now. And, um, you know, the guy's awaiting a heart transplant and he's okay to compete. What were the requirements? Did he not meet a deadline? Maybe there was a deadline and he didn't meet it and we didn't know about it. There's potentially that as well. So to me, everyone, Texas is kind of in the rear view. I mean, I, he could have just had a medical and then just surfed on it before any maybe noticeable issues were detectable. That's at least a conceivable idea in my mind. That's not the one I'm concerned about. What I'm concerned about is him going to England and then competing based on Bellator self-regulation. That is what is bothersome to me. Um, and maybe there's a good explanation for it and we don't know it yet. You have to at least take that possibility seriously. Come here, buddy. You have to at least take that possibility seriously. But uh, some questions are being asked. I'll put it to you that way. Texas is just Texas. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. They're just going to do what they're going to do. Luke, do you think that because of Kimbo, the legacy type of fights in Bellator are over? No. But they, if they're going to do them, at least do them in New Jersey or something like that. Or... Uh, Mohegan Sun, where there's at least you know a pretty respectable commission in place there. I'd be okay with them if they're properly regulated, and that could mean that some of them don't get approved. But 
if they're in a place that has a good reputation for thorough and complete regulation and you know a good officiating crew, I, I, I don't think I would have any issue with it. It's that when you're in Texas, uh, I can't trust them to do the job properly either as, as you know, they, they could bring in their own referees, I suppose, but from timekeepers to ringside physicians to protocol on getting people to um, hospitals on time to everything. Um, do you trust them? I don't. Uh, okay, another one. The Brock Lesnar USADA exemption. I mentioned it before. What's up with Brock being granted an exemption and the UFC anti-doping policy standard of having to give written notice his return for four months? Let's go to... Uh, You know, the guy who writes about this, who is great. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Here is the clause. Section 571 of the policy requires athletes who, quote, cease to have a contractual relationship with the UFC may not resume competing in UFC bouts until he, she has made himself available for a testing period of four months before the return to competition. Perhaps Lesnar's return to the UFC has been firm for several months and you saw that simply not tested him based on statistical luck. A more likely possibility, however, is that the UFC has used their powers to exempt Lesnar from this four-month window. As previously discussed, uh, USADA's custom-tailored UFC policy gives the promotion the trump card in exempting athletes from this four-month window, quote, in exceptional circumstances or where the strict application of the rule would be manifestly unfair to the athlete. The policy does not define what exceptional circumstances are, but it appears that Brock Lesnar, UFC 200, in short notice may meet this test in the eyes of the UFC. This is from uh, Eric, I think his name is McGrocken. I don't know if I pronounced it properly. You can go to combatsportslaw.com. He's great. Um, so there you go. They have, they put in an escape valve in their contractual language for situations just like this to get around the problems of having to work in short windows for athletes under these extraordinary circumstances. All right, say hi, and then you got to go by. You traitor. Had Columbia played the USA, he was wearing a Columbia jersey because he's a joke. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Sorry I said that about you, buddy. All right. Uh, it's 2.15. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. Uh, hey, Luke, any idea about Will Brooks joining the UFC? I have not heard, but something we can look into. Still no mention of Fedor on UFC Fight Pass. Casualty of Insane Newsweek? Uh, could be. When is that? Like the night that this weekend, I think? What was your reaction when you first saw the Nate Diaz slapping Dana White video? I laughed hysterically. Especially with the line, I F'd your B, you fat MF'er from Tupac on Hit Him Up which was one of my favorite songs uh, in high school, as you can well imagine. <laughs> I mean, how do you not laugh at that? I don't know. It was just insane. It was an insane week. Um, who's more popular now, John Jones or Nate Diaz? Well, John Jones still, but Nate Diaz is... Um, John Jones, I think, is a more established figure, but who's like more popular at the moment? It might be Nate Diaz. You've talked about his life and career, but what's your favorite memory or anecdote of Kimbo Slice? I don't know if I have a favorite one, but um, um, I forget exactly what he said. It was something to the effect of, first of all, Hoist Gracie loves or I should say loved, sadly, Kimbo Slice. I mean loved him. He really loved him. Uh, 
and he came in the room with him one time. They walked in and they were like arm in arm. I swear to God, it was th- it was like the funniest thing. And Kimbo was saying something, and like he w- they were talking, but when he got into the room, you you, you couldn't you, you could hear that he was talking, but you couldn't make out what he was saying. And he walked in the room, and he was like, and that's when I said, "Don't touch my balls." And he and like Hoist had like it must have been some kind of punchline, and he and Hoist just started laughing maniacally, you know. Uh, and I don't know what they were talking about, but it was just hilarious to see the camaraderie. And I sort of mentioned this in my point, like Kimbo, like, you know, was talking about baby nuts and, you know, mentioning his balls when he walks in the room with Hoist Gracie, but I never, like no one ever seemed bothered by it. Uh, everyone sort of seemed almost charmed by it in a way. And that, maybe that was part of his, his charm, you know, uh, give us your opinion about Rhonda avoiding aerial interviews. What did I say in my sports illustrated round table? I changed nothing from that. I feel very confident. You can go back and you can read that. And my attitudes don't change. They asked me, who is the the least media-friendly person uh, in MMA? And I mentioned her. Now, she goes out and does a tremendous amount of media. She'll do Ellen, and she'll talk to God knows how many people. And she will do scrums and calls and everything else. But for the most part, especially more recently, she avoids any kind of media um, that will ask her any kind of question she doesn't like, even if you or I perceive it to be, you know... um, totally innocuous and frankly newsworthy she will she will uh, avoid it assiduously and uh you know so to me you know we can talk about the accessibility it's accessible to some people it's accessible to outlets that aren't going to press her on anything um what good reason could the use you saw the exemption clause be there for other than aiding obvious users well because they probably had to get lesnar it, it gives them flexibility to get people on short notice i think is what the promoter would say um, but that's just an anti, that, that's just a compromise to anti-doping that they've made. That, that There's no other way to put that. Um, I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think it undercuts the entire program, but that's what that is. There's a limit to anti-doping as it relates to, in the real world, their need to sign fighters and promote fights on short notice. There you go. Bisping said that he felt stronger and more powerful because of the 17-day camp. Could shorter camps become a reality? You know, I think if he could do it over again, he probably still would do one longer than 17 days. But there is something to be said for getting in strong condition quickly without beating your body up. And this is a little bit different now. He had already fought Rockhold before. So he was able to take what he learned in that first camp and then that first fight and then just tweak it. That wouldn't necessarily be available to you for a first-time opponent. Uh, was it ever likely that the UFC would have banned fighters from appearing on the MMA hour? Would be out of the question uh, under the under the previous considerations of things. I don't think that's the case now, but um, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out anything. With Fedor on Fight Pass, do you foresee a Brock versus Fedor fight headlining MSG? I certainly do not. Who are you expecting Brock to fight? I was thinking Derek Lewis. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I don't know. I never thought much about a name. I was so consumed with the credentialing issue that I didn't think much about the name. What was your reaction to the DS thing? Uh, with Michael Bisping taking the middleweight title, has he done enough to get to the UFC hall of fame? Yes. Do you think Bisping defeating Rockhold at UFC 199 comes close to the upset level of Sarah versus GSP? I don't put it on par with it, but I, I, I believe again, I believe that Bisping's win is historic. 
Um, certainly in one of the greater UFC upsets, absolutely. We just don't feel that way because of all the other things that had happened. Um, so many other, even if the credential issue had not happened, Lesnar issue, um, McGregor Diaz 2 being booked, and Kimbo's death, all of these things would have somewhat tampered down the conversation about it. Uh, let's see. Were you disturbed by the two elbows on the ground that Lombard took? Not, I mean, they were unfortunate, but I, I, from just being candid, I was not disturbed by them. Did the early weigh-ins help with fighter performance at 199? Um, it'll be interesting to follow. It's not enough of a sample size to draw any like major conclusions, but the fighter enthusiasm for them is something worth paying attention to as well. They all seem to give it glowing reviews, and and in fact, maybe it did. We don't know yet, but certainly worth you know following as the sport moves along. Do you know if the digital video game rights for UFC fighters go back to them if they go to Bellator? They do not. They lose those in perpetuity. Should Kimbo Slice be inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame? No. Under what condition could, could he possibly add it to the UFC Hall of Fame? Is there no place for promotion... I don't know what this question is asking. Is there no place for promotion re-news releases within private companies with reporting being what it is in 2016? Let me go one more thing about this whole credentialing issue, and it's not really about Ariel necessarily. There's been a larger discussion about, like, what is journalism? And, you know, the fighters, I would kindly ask them to take a step back on this one a little bit. Certainly, I value their input, and I think some of them have just as valid things to say as any other member of the media, and maybe in some cases more valid. You know, because they're often the subject of these um, pieces. They, they Their criticism informs our judgment going forward, and I respect that, and I appreciate that. But what I have found is that a lot of people in the community just have really poor idea about what journalism is and what constitutes it and, um, and what are the kinds of breaches and the kinds of norms set in place that allow for an organization to take credentials. I, I, I saw one fighter on one forum, and I won't say who it was, just, you know, <laughs> profoundly clueless about how the there's there's not many people unless you've worked in journalism i wouldn't necessarily expect you to understand how the journalism world works like i don't know what it's like to be in, in a professional mixed martial arts fight that's why i'm routinely asking questions of these fighters about it because it is it's certainly something where unless you've done it you don't know back at you fellas unless you've done it you don't know there's certainly a, a, a lot that can be said that they just don't quite get, both in terms of how relationships uh, are created, um, what it means to, what, what exactly is newsworthy, what isn't, what is worth holding for more information, what is worth just ignoring altogether. There is the good news about this conversation that we're having that has happened as, as a result of these credentials is that we're having a conversation. But there, it's revealing the fact that a lot of people have some really poor ideas, um, some really dubious views on what constitutes journalism generally. Um, I will maintain that um, what happened to Ariel is uh, uh, indefensible. It's indefensible. The idea, here's a very simple calculus. Did he have enough sources for um, the story to be reliable? Uh, he had two, and of course, everything he eventually reported was all of it correct. Um, is it in the public's interest to know about those things, right? Is it, forget about that there may be a release later. 
that is not that is not a criteria you take into account. That has nothing to do with your job. My job is not to worry about what PR people and their job is. My job is to ask those questions. Is this newsworthy? And do I have it properly sourced? Period. That's the, that's the sum total. Did I gather this information ethically? Yes, I believe he did. I believe these arguments that he has a mole are just utterly ridiculous and should not be taken seriously. And more than that, he got the information ethically. He had it widely sourced. He had it properly sourced. And the basic question is asked: um, Is this in the public's interest? If the if those things if those conditions are satisfied, you just report it. This idea that people are going to lose their job, first of all, that's a phony threat, which I don't take seriously. And here's the truth about it. Even if people lose their jobs, you report it. You report it. And that's not that's not even a real threat. You know, that's just, that's not a real thing. Who, who, who lost their jobs? Tell me. Right? No, nobody lost their job. Okay? Nobody lost their job uh, that I'm aware of. If they did, I'm happy to correct it on this live chat. I'll, I'll be happy to correct it. Um, but to my knowledge, I, I'm not aware of anyone losing their job over what was reported um, by him. Um, but even if it was the case, it would not. That's not why you hold a story. You hold a story only if it's incorrect, or you just don't have enough evidence to support it. Uh, provided that it's newsworthy, is it newsworthy in our world that McGregor Diaz got signed? It is newsworthy. If you have the proper, <coughs> if you have the proper information, then you report it. And it's just that everyone's like, well, it, you know, he could have held it in, for a few hours and. And let the promotion have it. That's not his job. He doesn't work for them. If you work for them, they could tell you to stop it. But you don't work for them. Here's the fact of the matter. The media and the UFC, they don't necessarily have, and I tell us about the fighters too, they don't necessarily have overlapping interests. Some of those interests don't align. Um, and to the extent that they don't, that's okay, that's life. But you can't expect them to. So, like... There's, there's, there's no argument you can make. You won't find a journalism professor in this planet or any editor worth an S anywhere who would tell you to hold those stories. Never. They do not exist. The only people who are telling you that they shouldn't have published it are people outside of journalism. Have you noticed that? I uh, know any details on Lesnar's contract. Did you have any control over him? I do not know any details about Lesnar's contract. Are you concerned that the media didn't push the issue of Helwani's ban during the 199 presser beyond a single question? No. I mean, if they're not going to comment, you, I mean, what are you going to badger them all day? They're just going to keep saying no comment. People think you're going to get up there and you're going to have one of these civil rights moments where, you know, <laughs> you're going to bang your head, hand. You're going to be like a judge in a courtroom. You're going to bang your gavel down on the four mica and they're just going to start listening to you. There, there are ways to handle this. There are channels by which you can alleviate these pressures and, Getting up there and badgering Dave Schaller, who did not order the banning, is not going to get anything done. It's not. This is not a meaningful contribution. On a scale of one to ten, how outraged are you that UFC can waive four-month USADA testing when they sign, resign a fighter? I mean, I don't take anti-doping as seriously as you guys to begin with, so I can't profess to be all that outraged. Um, how do you see the middleweight division looking in one and a half years? No way to tell. No way to tell. Uh, was the size for the octagon for 199 small? No, it was large. Uh, let's see. Let's see. With Dan Henderson's amazing performance against Lombard at UFC 199, do you think he should continue fighting or retire? I would like to see him retire. I think that would be a tremendous way to go out. He is a first 
ballot Hall of Famer, and you can make no argument otherwise. He's 45 years old. He's made a lot of money in his career. I would like to see him call it quits. I understand if he's got other ideas. I respect that. But I think this would be a great, great what – what, what a way to go out on a win. Yeah? Um, how was Brock granted immunity from USADA's four-month rule, yet when Connor retired, Dana decided the same rule to sway him? Because they can waive it whenever they like. It's in the rules. Did you see that Bisping also tripped Luke when he hit him with that first left? And do you think it was intentional? I do not think it was intentional, but I do notice the trip. How much of the conflict between Ariel and the UFC has to do with their lack of understanding of the media in the 21st century? I don't think they, they, they poorly understand the media. They just don't want to accept certain realities of it, that we have non-overlapping interests and that we have a job to do that in some cases it does mean promoting their product. And in many cases it means promoting that. In many cases it doesn't. In many cases it means scrutinizing it. But here's the truth. If we're so awful, how are they worth $4 billion? If all we do is tear them down, would they be worth $8 billion? Like they have succeeded despite in, uh, any attempt at uh, coverage of what they've done in business relations and anti-doping and whatever. They, they've been just fine. They've been just fine. Like they're, they're, they're winning. They're winning. And they're winning because they, they, you know, I think largely run a pretty great promotion, right? Like there's no argument about that. But that they run a perfect promotion, no. That there are things to criticize and pick at, yeah. Like this is not, th th this, is, this is no scandal. Um, and the depths of that, have they been explored properly? Probably not, which is why you want a, a press that doesn't feel constrained to do its job. And I've never felt constrained, but I put constraints on myself in terms of what kind of access I want to be able to still do my job correctly. But that's a personal choice um, that I've made, uh, not one that I can necessarily say works for everyone. In fact, it doesn't work for everyone, but it's one that I made. But but um, yeah, like they just don't want to accept And I think they're coming around to this idea slowly. They're smart people. They're not dumb over there. They're smart. I think they're slowly coming around to the idea that, you know, as the world changes and as media changes and as their as their space in the sports world changes and as the rest of the sports world and their relationship to the UFC changes, right? As, as Rachel Nichols is paying attention to this, as Scott Van Pelt is paying attention to this, as Ariel Hawani becomes somebody who is so big that those sports organizations can't not notice it, um, it just changes the dynamics of what they can reasonably, uh, you know, expect of their media and what kind of things they can do in terms of the control of their own credentials. They still should be able to retain the right to say yay or nay, but there are, last thing I'll say about this is, you know, if, if, if someone, forget the current impasse about the Supreme Court, but think about how, oh, um, for example, think about how someone is nominated usually, right? Again, forget the current situation. If someone is nominated for the Supreme Court, um, what is the process by which senators evaluate them? Even if they disagree with them about, you know, where do you stand on Roe v. Wade or whatever the case may be, if they went to like Harvard Law and they, you know, they clerked for a previous Supreme Court uh, judge and they sat on a federal bench and, you know, they've got this incredible views about the, the depth of their own jurisprudence, usually what happens is there's a norm in place where Republican or Democrat, they just put them through. There have been exceptions to this, of course. You know, Robert Bork is a famous one. But that's generally how the norms work. But there's no rules to that effect, 
right? The, the, the rules are simply that the Senate has the right to not approve them. The norm is that there is essentially, are you basically a qualified person who's been in this industry long enough that even if I don't agree with your views necessarily, you know, you are a qualified person to speak about these matters and then of course sit on this bench. And that's really how it works. That norm is in play. That's how credentials should work. Yes, they can deny it, but there's a certain norm and a certain level of professional, um, you know, um, not responsibility exactly, but this, this sort of mutual um, benefit that uh, if you protect those norms, the organization, provided they're acting in compliance with the things they're supposed to, and I have no reason to believe for the most part that they don't, they'll be just fine. And to the extent we're given the freedom to um, have access to their interviews and this transparency is allowed, you know, you bring the media into your world, you allow these not only these norms to be preserved, but you allow the kind of journalism that should take place for the public's interest and the consumer's interest to also take place. To the extent that you wall that off, you raise scrutiny, um, you 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 lessen the quality of your profile among your sporting organization peers, you you raise the ire of people who are looking for the proper amount of information. All kinds of problems uh, happen because you're not preserving those norms. Those norms have rational, clear value. And that's why they should be preserved. It's not a matter of can you do things or can you not do things. You don't have to. But when you get outside of those those established norms, and it's, I'm not suggesting you do things that way because you've always done them that way. Those norms exist for a reason because they matter. They're valuable and you need them. All right. We have to go. I've gone way over time. Follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Luke Thomas show. Uh, 4 p.m. I might have Michael Bisping on. I don't even know. I'm going to have Mike Brown on to talk about Kimbo Slice. Follow me on Twitter. You get the whole thing. Until next time, stay frosty.